Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. So one of my uh, New Year's resolutions for 2022 is to get rich. Um, (laughs) Trying to scheme up ways. Uh, And I was thinking about it, one of probably the the best ways, at least maybe fit into my field a little bit, is um, to either do like a sermon series or write a book on like the keys to personal fulfillment. And so what I decided to do um, when Ethan asked me to preach, I'm going to workshop it. And so um, so I want to talk about the key to personal fulfillment. Okay, I kind of joke, but not completely. I I do want to talk about that. But it's interesting because, I mean, that's something that, that it's like it's always there. And I always like to think about the things that motivate us and drive us. You know, there's, you know, the desire for belonging and the, the, the desire for meaning and significance and security. And, but there's always kind of lying behind all of that. This idea of, of fulfillment. And a lot of times it creates a lot of pressure. I mean, because when you're young, you're told you need to fulfill your potential. You got to go out and fulfill your dreams. You got to fulfill your hopes. You got to fulfill your destiny. Not quite sure what that means, but I like that one because then it makes me feel like I'm like on an epic journey or something. But you need to do that so that then you can have a fulfilling family and fulfilling love life, a fulfilling career. And so that then you can die fulfilled. And as I kind of joke, there's so many resources out there. Tons of books. There are some preachers who have made a lot of money giving you keys on how to find fulfillment. And they're willing to sell those things to you. So then they can fulfill their dream of getting rich. <laughs> but I joke kind of tongue-in-cheek, but this reality of fulfillment is not all bad. I mean, I think there's something right that is deep down inside of all of us that, that should want to meet our end with a sense of fulfillment. The problem is, is I think that fulfillment is less about what we do or achieve. And it's more about what we root our fulfillment in. So I want to look at this, this somewhat famous passage from the Gospel of Luke. If you've been around Anglicanism long, uh, you know a portion of this passage very well. The nunc dimittis. Not quite sure if that's how you say it in the Latin, but I'm saying it that way. Which <laughs> is recited during every Compline. But this passage that is very familiar, I think, in many ways, is all about fulfillment. It's interesting to me because it's all about fulfillment 
And yet, it's also placed at the beginning of the story. So I want to look at this passage and particularly three things that Luke points out. Three fulfillments. A fulfillment of the law, a fulfillment of promises, and a fulfillment of an old man's hope. And I want to just give a few reflections on each of these in light of the passage. But I think some of the significance and meaning is drawn out whenever you understand the historical and cultural context that surrounds this event. So first, a little bit about the historical context. As we've discovered through archaeology, um, through Dead Sea Scrolls, we found more and more that first century Israel, the Jews in that time, there was a heightened expectation anticipation of God's fulfillment of his promises through the sending of a Messiah. They found themselves in a weird situation, a situation in which they had before been through a long roller coaster of hope of fulfillment and then having those hopes crushed. If you go all the way back, there was the hope of of the fulfillment of God's reestablishment of Israel, of, of his promises after the Babylonian exile, that they were returning back to Israel. And there was hope. And then there was a dude named Alexander the Great. And the Greeks came and conquered Israel. And those hopes were crushed. But then all of a sudden, there was a new hope of fulfillment that that God was going to finally establish his kingdom on earth and Israel would be its center. Because through the Maccabean revolt, somehow, they kicked the Greeks out. And for almost 100 years, they were once again their own nation. And then... There's this Roman general named Pompey. In 63 BC, Rome rolled in and subjugated Israel once again. And so there's this roller coaster, and in reality, the circumstances would not point towards a heightened hope, an expectation of God's fulfillment through the Messiah, because right during that period of time, Rome was growing and strengthening, it wasn't weakening. Under Caesar Augustus, Rome was expanding and establishing itself, entrenching itself. And yet what we read is that there were circulating these ideas and reading of the Old Testament and seeing signs that were pointing towards God's fulfillment through the sending of Messiah sometime in their day. They read Rome to be the fourth great beast in Daniel. The beast that was going to be crushed by the Messiah. And after the crushing of that beast, God's kingdom would be established. Israel would reign as the true great empire. And so there was a lot of hope and anticipation for fulfillment. But for many of them, fulfillment meant the coming of a Messiah king, the destruction of Rome, the subjugation of the Gentiles, an establishment 
of a great nationalistic empire. God's empire that was going to be Israel. But despite all the general anticipation that was shared, there was disagreement on what it would look like. And how it would come about. You had different factions, but just to generalize, you had the Pharisees who saw that fulfillment of God's promises was tied to their fulfillment of the covenant requirements. That if Israel was faithful to their side of the covenant, then God would be faithful. And the promise would be given to those faithful Jews. And then you had the Essenes who weren't so hopeful about turning around Israel. And they thought everybody was basically too jacked up. So they ran to the Dead Sea and decided that they needed to start fresh and new to create a pure remnant. And that through that remnant, then God's Messiah would come. And yet the Zealots felt that God was not going to act if they didn't act first. And so as an act of faith, recreating that glorious Maccabean revolt, that if they stepped out and stood against Rome, then God would act and fulfill his promises. Then you had those who weren't so keen on the idea of a Messiah. You had the Sadducees who were working to maintain their national identity and their religious identity by cozying up with Rome, trying to gain Rome's favor. And then there were other Jews, like King Herod. They were doing pretty good having Rome in charge, and they didn't really like the idea of a Messiah. And so what they put their hopes in was a nationalistic hope that was tied to an allegiance with Rome and gaining Rome's favor. But then you had the mass majority that were just trying to survive day to day, trying to make sense of it all, as they're being blasted by propaganda from each faction hitting up their social media feed, trying to make sense of it all. And this is the cultural climate, this climate of, of anticipation of fulfillment that Luke sets out to write a detailed account of how Jesus both fulfilled all things and was the fulfillment that they were waiting for. And we see as we start into this passage, he starts with this language of fulfilling. The fulfillment of the law. In 22 through 24, it says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. If you read right before this in verse 21, Luke accounts how fulfilling the law of Moses on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised. And so what Luke is doing is he's showing first that Jesus was a faithful Jew. That there was continuity with the past, even though a new era was to begin. 
And I think Luke is very intentional with this because if you remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus, a Gentile. And he's reminding his audience that Jesus was not some rebel who was setting off to establish his own new thing. But he was a faithful Jew and continuing what had come before. As Jesus would later say, said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So in some ways, or many ways, we see that even from the very beginning, that as an infant, through the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, that Jesus was fulfilling the law. And the, the fulfillment that was to come through him as Messiah was tied to the fulfilling of the law. So in many ways, to the Pharisees, he's saying yes. Yes, the fulfillment is tied to fulfilling the law, the demands of the covenant. But he's also saying no. That the fulfillment that you are seeking is not tied to your fulfillment of the law, but to Christ's. And then we see, just briefly to mention, it says that they came and they gave a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons during Jesus' dedication at the temple, 40, would have been 40 days after his birth. If you read back in the law, during the dedication of the firstborn son, you're supposed to offer a lamb. But if you're really, really poor, you could offer pigeons. And so it's indicating, first of all, this Messiah King is born into poverty. But the idea of the offering of the lamb for the firstborn son goes back to, to Exodus. In which God was going to strike down the firstborn of all in Egypt, but those who sacrificed a lamb and put the blood over the door that God would pass over. And so it was a reminder that there has to be a death so that their firstborn can live. And the irony is that even though as an infant Jesus, he was passed over having two turtle doves killed in his place, eventually he would be that lamb that his parents were too poor to purchase. Dying on the cross in all of our stead. So my first key to personal fulfillment is that true fulfillment is not tied to self-help, works or achievement, ability to fulfill righteousness or anything else. No, it comes in resting in the works and accomplishments of another. The one who has already fulfilled all things. So next, the fulfillment of promises. 29 through 32. We have um, Simeon praying this blessing. 
says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Then in 34, speaking to Mary and Joseph, it says, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. So within this famous passage that we pray ourselves quite often, there's some echoes of Jeremiah But ultimately, what we have is a meshing together of multiple quotations from different parts of the prophet Isaiah. And it's interesting that he emphasizes Isaiah, particularly the different prophecies or passages from Isaiah that he emphasizes. Because in Isaiah, we see the promise of of this fulfillment through a Messiah that, that, that God was going to send a Messiah King, and restore Israel. But Isaiah has this other aspect too, that in so doing, God was going to also redeem the nations and redeem the Gentiles. That there was this promise of a Davidic King that was to come. But also, he was going to accomplish his work by way of being a suffering servant. And in these selections of prophecies from Isaiah, I think Simeon being led by the Holy Spirit makes a profound statement because he happens to point to all the key passages that point out the hopes of fulfillment that were conveniently ignored by many in Israel during that day. Jesus was the fulfillment, but he was not the fulfillment of their nationalistic or ethnic agendas. And he's not limited to their selective reading of Scripture. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. As Paul says to the church in Corinth, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises. Even the ones that run counter to our own agendas and hopes. And I think it's a reminder of the danger of having selective promises. The thing is, is you can see Christ as our fulfillment, but then completely miss it because you see him as a fulfillment of our own fallen aspirations or selective emphasis on some biblical promises. Instead of recognizing him to be the fulfillment of all of God's promises, not our own agendas, not our own desires, and not our own wishes. And sometimes, by finding our fulfillment in Christ's fulfillment of God's promises, we have to recognize that some of those promises will crush our own aspirations. 
So we have the fulfillment of the law, fulfillment of the promises. And then finally, the fulfillment of an old man's hope. 25 through 28 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. 25, it says that he was righteous and devout, waiting the consolation of Israel. This language is depicting him as a faithful Jew, fulfilling what he was asked to fulfill, trying to be faithful to the Mosaic law, and that he was waiting the consolation of Israel, which means the the, the peace and shalom of what God was to bring through the Messiah. But in many ways, he wasn't that different than any of his other contemporaries. There were very many faithful and devout Jews. And as I mentioned, most of which were longing for the consolation of Israel. But what made Simeon different than many of the other faithful Jews in his day was Luke's emphasis about him. 25, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. In 26, it says the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Christ before death. In verse 27, it says the Spirit led him into the temple to Jesus. Luke is reminding the readers that what Simeon was able to see and perceive was given to him by God's grace and God's grace alone. It was by God's grace that he was able to perceive what everybody else naturally would have missed. Looking for this strong Messiah King and then seeing two unwed young poor parents walking in with a baby coming from some podunk hick town. Nobody would have seen that as there's the Messiah right there. And as I said, being drawn to the promises that this baby was to fulfill, promises that ran counter to the hopes of that nation. I don't know what he exactly knew, but from what we understand of the hopes and expectations in first century Palestine, he knew more than most of his contemporaries. And through the Holy Spirit, we see this old man was likely just going through his regular religious rituals, his daily devotions in the temple. And then by grace was able to behold God incarnate before him. 
and speak words that would be recited by Christians throughout the world since the beginning of the church. Regardless of exactly how much he knew concerning what Jesus would accomplish, I just, what I find most profound and what I've been dwelling on most over this break thinking about this passage is these words. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He could die in peace, fulfilled. And he didn't even get to see the fulfillment of what Jesus came to accomplish. It's a 40-day-old baby. He didn't even, I don't think he completely knew what Jesus was going to fully do and accomplish. He didn't see the liberation of Israel. He didn't see the bringing in of the Gentiles. Victory over death or anything else. But he found his life's fulfillment by getting to look into the eyes of God. beholding the embodiment of all of God's promises. His life was fulfilled because he himself got to behold Christ, Jesus. And the thing is, is that many of his fellow devout brothers and sisters who were also awaiting the consolation of Israel would also gaze upon that same Jesus, now a man, But instead of blessing him, they would curse him and call for his crucifixion. Because he did not fulfill what they had placed all their hope in. Which was not God in their midst, not grace upon grace for them and for their enemies. Not a humble reception of what God has deemed best for them in his promises. They wanted a charismatic king, an ethnic and nationalistic power, and retribution to their enemies, and in some ways, that they could become the new Rome. So my key to personal fulfillment, I'll give it to you for free. (laughs) I think the key... We see a little glimpse from Simeon. That we place our hope in the right thing. And that we find our fulfillment in Christ himself, not in what you are wanting him to do for you. So when our life's hope is in getting to behold Christ, knowing that all of the requirements of the law have already been fulfilled by him, so our hope does not rest in what we do. And knowing that all the promises of God are fulfilled by him, even if we are still working out our theology to try to understand completely what all those promises are. We can die in peace regardless of the circumstances around us, regardless of whether our aspirations have been fulfilled or crushed. We can die fulfilled when our fulfillment 
is found in being in the presence of Christ. To behold the salvation of God. However, it's working itself out. And also remember, like Simeon, all of us who are in Christ have received the Holy Spirit. Reorienting our gaze, our perceptions, our desires, and our longing. Directing all of our hopes and aspirations not toward what we think we would like Christ to do, but by belonging to him. So we have the fulfillment of the law so that our hope does not rely on us. Fulfillment of the promises, which include all that God wills. And fulfillment of hope that is rooted in beholding Christ himself, not achieving our own aspirations. So our societal definition of personal or self-fulfillment at least one of the most popular and common ones, is the ability to make oneself happy or gain a sense of one's life being complete through your own efforts or by fulfilling one's dreams, goals, or aspirations. See that playing out in so many ways around us, and we all get drawn into it. It also sounds really exhausting. I mean, you can try it. It's going to probably turn out pretty disastrous. Let's do something revolutionary. So we celebrate Christmas and enter a new year instead of just trying to figure out ways to have a more fulfilling 2022. Or even worse, by looking to Jesus as your hope to fulfill your own personal aspirations and agendas. We pray by the Holy Spirit that our truest fulfillment, hopes, and aspirations might be rooted in beholding Christ fresh and new. And then having our gaze fixed upon God's Messiah, we can enter into a world of chaos and turmoil, a new year that may be worse than the last. A world where we will probably see this year pains that we didn't expect to endure. Beautiful things and the destruction of beauty. And yet, as we walk into this coming year that will carry a mixed bag of ups and downs, we can do so with great peace for our eyes has seen the Lord's salvation. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. We have lost, they took your life, they could not.